At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This summer, the world must answer one question. Why has no one made a popsicle that gets you high yet? That's right, it's summer, and it's time for you to get your hands on America's new favorite product, Danksicles. 20 milligrams of THC in two great flavors, the latest and greatest innovation from IndiCloud. Is IndiCloud the greatest company to come out of America? Maybe. But what we do know for sure is that IndiCloud is the best way to get dispensary-grade cannabis delivered directly to your door, 100% legally. Yes, they ship legally to all states. No medical card needed. Whether it's vapes as big as your head, flowers you won't find in your mom's garden, or of course, popsicles that get you high as What are you waiting for? Go to indicloud.co slash spring24 and get discreet delivery on top shelf THC products. Head over to indicloud.co slash spring24. That's co, not com, to snag 30% off your first order. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. Welcome to my final episode in a series that I like to call Serial Nightmare. I usually do this in October for Halloween, but obviously I'm just a little bit too excited and there hasn't been a whole lot, I don't know, of fun in the world lately, so I decided to bring it back a bit early. For my very last Serial Nightmare episode, I'm covering a creepy mystery that might actually be a true crime story. We just don't know at this point. Tonight, we're talking about the Sodder family and the five Sodder children gone without a trace after a house fire on Christmas Eve. The mystery to this day still remains. Did the five middle children die in the fire or was the fire all a cover for their actual abduction? We're going to dive into who the Sauter family is, the events that happened that night, and theories as to what is actually the truth. But before we jump in, a word from our sponsor. Tonight's episode is sponsored by the new podcast, The Uninformed Banker. Sometimes you just need a break from true crime content and want to listen to something new. The Uninformed Banker features interviews with people about pretty much anything and everything, along with a mix of some economic news stories. They currently have 24 episodes for you to dive into, and what I really like about the show is that each episode is a nice, succinct little podcast snack for you to enjoy. I just finished listening to their episode about the Subway Tuna Saga, and yeah, needless to say, I won't be dining at Subway anytime soon. The host does a great job of balancing the facts with a bit of humor. I promise you won't be disappointed. Check out The Uninformed Banker on Spotify or at theuninformedbanker.com. Do it. 
Okay, let's get to tonight's story. And we're going to start with the evening of December 24th, 1945. It's Christmas Eve in Fayetteville, West Virginia, and of course the Sauter family household is buzzing with holiday excitement. The family consists of parents, George and Jenny, along with their 10 children. Yep, that's right, 10 children. Nine of the 10 children were at home that night. One of their sons was actually away serving in the army in World War II. The eldest of the daughters, Marion, who was 17 at the time, surprised her three younger sisters with new toys. She had saved up her money at her part-time job, enough to buy presents herself that year. It was a lovely evening, and the family was enjoying their time together so much that time had seemed to escape them. Around 10 p.m., the younger children asked if they could continue to stay up to enjoy their new toys. And their mother, Jenny, said yes, as long as their big brothers, Maurice, who was 14, and Louis, 9, would stay up with them. Of course, they agreed, and so while everyone else decided to head to bed, they continued to stay up and play quietly in the attic. The father and head of household, George Sauter, retired to bed, as did the two eldest sons, John, who was 23, and George Jr., who was 16 years old. Mom Jenny also went to bed, along with the toddler of the family, two-year-old Sylvia. At approximately 12.30 a.m., Jenny was awoken by the phone ringing, which startled her right from her sleep. Nobody would ever be calling so late into the night, so she rushed to the phone thinking that it had to be an emergency. When she answered the phone, she heard a bunch of people talking in the background, laughing and clinking glasses. It sounded like a holiday party. The woman on the other line had a voice that she didn't recognize, and she asked for someone who didn't live at the house. So Jenny told them she had the wrong number and hung up. She figured it was likely either a prank call or the person was drunk and had dialed the wrong number. Jenny went back to bed and tried to get back to sleep. Only about half an hour later, she was woken up again, this time by a loud thud noise on the roof. She was half asleep, and I mean, this is a mom of 10, so she probably thought it was just one of her kids messing around, so she ignored it and closed her eyes again. Then around 1 a.m., Jenny shot right up in bed. She had smelled smoke, which, I mean, good for you, Jenny. I'm not sure my tired ass would ever wake up from smelling smoke. I need a loud, blaring fire alarm going off in order to wake me up. She jumped out of bed and she ran around the house yelling at everyone to wake up because there was a fire. And it appeared that the home office was where the fire started. They all needed to get out of the house quickly. She was able to get her husband, George, up along with three of the eldest sons and the two-year-old baby, Sylvia. The other children had been sleeping upstairs in the attic, and when Jenny ran to the staircase, it was on fire. There was no way up the stairs. George ran to the phone to try and call the fire department, but the phone wasn't working. The line was completely dead, as if it had been cut. Jenny was screaming to George that she couldn't get to the children sleeping in the attic because the stairway was on fire. So after the two parents and four children escaped the burning home, George broke a window and jumped back into the house. By this time, he couldn't see anything but smoke. 
It appeared that everything was up in flames. The living room, the dining room, the kitchen. You couldn't see anything but fire, and he couldn't make his way to the stairwell to get to the attic. George ran back outside to grab his ladder to try to climb to the attic window and rescue the remaining kids who were trapped up there. Usually, the ladder was found resting against the side of the house, but it wasn't there. So he told one of the children, Marion, to run to the neighbor's house to call the fire department, while he ran to his two trucks that were parked in the driveway. He thought that maybe he could pull the trucks up to the attic window and climb through. However, neither of his trucks would start, which was really weird because both of them had been working perfectly fine the day before. Now, remember, Marion had run to a neighbor's house to call the fire department, right? Well, when they tried calling, they couldn't get through. In the 1940s, to make a phone call, you had to call the operator, who would then connect your call to the appropriate place. Well, according to accounts from that evening, they couldn't reach an operator to place their call. Another neighbor nearby saw the home on fire, and they also tried to call the fire department, but again, they couldn't reach an operator to connect the call. I'm thinking maybe because it was Christmas Eve, maybe they were, I don't know, sleeping, partying, taking a break, I'm not really sure. It wasn't until this other neighbor drove into town and directly to the fire station to tell them about the fire that a response was initiated. Meanwhile, George and Jenny are standing outside of their burning home, screaming out their children's names in hopes that they might hear them. The local fire department finally gets it together to come fight the fire at the Sauter home, but it's 1945 and obviously they didn't have the best communication, they didn't have the best equipment, never mind the fact that they were severely understaffed because most of the able-bodied men in the town were away fighting in the war. For this reason, and because of the amount of time that it took just to inform them about the fire, it took them almost an hour to get to the scene, while the Sauter family, including George, Jenny, and only four of their children, stood by and watched helplessly as their home burned down with five other Sauter children still inside. Of the surviving children were Sylvia, two years old, Marion, 17, John, 23, and George Jr., 16. Unaccounted for were Maurice, 14, Martha, 12, Louis, 9, Jenny, 8, and Betty, 5. When the fire department finally did arrive, there wasn't much of the lumber home left. It was mostly just ash. It seemed as if anything that could have gone wrong in this situation went wrong. With the home phone not working, the missing ladder, the broken trucks, the MIA phone operators. Once the daylight hit, the fire department began sifting through the ash of the house, looking for the cause of the fire and the remains of the five soldered children. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. 
Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in True Accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes? Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors Fresh, Never Frozen meals that are also dietitian approved. No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon, because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day, because that's half the battle, and I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious, with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code napper50 at factormeals.com slash napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. But what's really strange is that they couldn't find a single trace of them. There were no bodies to be found amongst the rubble, not even bones. It was incredibly strange to not find a single remnant of any of the five children, but it was assumed that they had perished in the fire. Chief Morris suggested that the blaze had been hot enough to completely cremate the bodies. The cause of the fire was said to be a set of faulty wiring in the home. Death certificates for each of the children were issued, and four days after the fire, George decided to bulldoze the home in order to create a memorial for his five deceased children. But once the dust sort of settled, 
and the insanity of the night of the fire began to calm, both George and Jenny began to talk about the strange things that happened that night. All of the weird coincidences, or were they? The broken trucks, the faulty phone, the missing ladder, the weird phone call, but most importantly, the fact that none of their children's bodies were recovered. They began to wonder if the children were really killed in the fire at all, and perhaps maybe if this wasn't an accident. Like I said, the cause of the fire was said to be faulty wiring, but George remembered that the Christmas lights were actually still on when the fire first broke. And as the home continued to go up in a blaze, the outside lights on the home remained on, which wouldn't have been possible if the cause of the fire was actually faulty wiring. It would have shut down the whole grid, and it just didn't make sense to George. None of it did. And so he and his wife, Jenny, pushed for more answers about the fire. But before we get further into the oddities here, I think it's important that we cover some background about who the Sauter family was, because it's going to provide a little bit more insight into why this fire may have been suspicious to begin with. Both George and Jenny were Italian immigrants. George had moved to the U.S. with his older brother when he was just 13 years old. However, his brother pretty much returned to Italy right away, which left George completely alone in a new country. He had to fend for himself at a very early age, but luckily, he was very ambitious, and he was able to find work on the railroads. George truly is a success story of a self-made man. He worked really hard, moving his way up in the world until he was able to launch his own trucking company. When he was in his late 20s, he met Jenny at a music store. She was the owner's daughter and had moved to America from Italy with her family when she was just three years old. The pair clearly hit it off because they got married and went on to have a total of 10 children together. The family settled into Fayetteville, West Virginia, which was a hot spot for other Italian immigrant families. The Sauter family was well known in the community. Through George's trucking company, they were fairly well off and they had a large, beautiful home. And while they were generally liked in the community, there were also some rumors as to George's background. Some people speculated that his family had ties to the mafia back in Italy, and now he was in the mafia. Also, sometimes George's strong opinions and views would get him into a bit of hot water. Particularly, he strongly opposed Italian dictator Benito Mussolini, which led to some strong arguments with other members of this Italian immigrant community that they lived in. I was actually kind of surprised to read that because I had no idea that Mussolini was generally well-liked by Italians at the time. I mean, he was kind of a psychopath. So a little side note here, but I looked it up. Italian immigrants faced discrimination in white America, which caused them to keep strong ties to their homeland. Mussolini was all about Italian national pride, and so while many Italians in America were feeling attacked by those in their new home, they kind of looked to Mussolini as this proud Italian with these proud Italian values. Well, George Sauter apparently wasn't having any of that. And this is all relevant because as George began to think about the strange circumstances surrounding the house fire, he remembered an altercation that he had just this past October with a life insurance salesman. 
Apparently, the two got into a very heated argument, and a salesperson said something to the effect of, his house would go up in smoke, and his children are going to be destroyed, attributing all of this to, quote-unquote, the dirty remarks you've been making about Mussolini. And this wasn't the only strange interaction that he had with others in the months leading up to the fire. One day, a visitor came to the house, and after looking around the outside of the home, he warned George that a pair of fuse boxes would cause a fire someday. George was puzzled by the observation since he had just had the house rewired when an electric stove was installed, but he figured that the guy was just looking for work, so he sort of brushed it off, especially since he called the local electric company, who had said that it was safe. There was one final instance in the weeks before Christmas that year. George's older sons had noticed a strange car parked along the main highway through town. Apparently, the people in this car were watching the younger Sauter children as they got on and off the bus and returned from school. Which, of course, is odd, but maybe not something to be particularly concerned about, if not for the house fire. Which is why more questions absolutely needed to be answered regarding if this fire was set intentionally or whether or not the five Sauter children actually died in the fire. The Sodders brought in a telephone repairman to have a look at the phone line since their telephone wasn't working that evening. And after inspecting the line, he said that it appeared that it had been cut and it had to be intentional because whoever had cut it would have had to climb a 4.3 meter telegraph pole and then they would have had to reach over 60 centimeters to get to the wire. It would have been quite a situation. George was certain that the phone line had to be tampered with, which meant that it was likely that both of his trucks that wouldn't start that evening were also likely tampered with. Both of those trucks had been running as usual just the day before, so it didn't make sense to him that they suddenly wouldn't start when he needed them that night. Now, remember that missing ladder that was usually leaned up against the side of the house? George went to retrieve it in order to use it to access the attic window outside the house that night, but it was nowhere to be found. Later on, this ladder would be found thrown down an embankment 20 meters from the house. Why was the ladder here and not where it was typically found? George couldn't find any explanation for it. As for Mom Jenny, well, she was doing her own research and experiments. After the fire, there were some of their home appliances that had mostly kept their shape amongst the rubble. If these metal appliances had some pieces that were still left remaining, she didn't understand how there was absolutely nothing left of all five of her children. The fire department had simply said that the fire must have been hot enough to destroy them, but it didn't make sense. So she started conducting experiments burning different animal bones like chicken, beef, and pork to see if a fire would consume them. Each time, the bones burnt to a char, but there were still charred burns remaining. She also talked to an employee at the local crematorium who told her that even after they burned bodies for two hours at 2,000 degrees, some of the bones still remained. The Sauter family home had only burned for about 45 minutes in total, and yet there was nothing left of the children. 
the local fire department and law enforcement really weren't being all that helpful. In their opinion, this was a closed case, an accidental fire that unfortunately killed five children. So Jenny and George went to the media with all of their facts and their speculations about what really happened. The story broke quickly. It was front page news of the local paper and people began to come forward with their own details and things that they saw. A bus driver called in to say that during one of his routes, he saw a group of people throwing balls of fire at the solder house. Jenny remembered being woken up by a thud that night, and months later, as the snow melted, she found a hard green rubber ball, known as a pineapple bomb, which again, I had never heard of, but it looks like some sort of hand grenade that was even used later in Vietnam. And then came sightings of the children. Yes, the five children who were presumed to be deceased in the fire. A woman claimed to have seen the missing children peering from a passing car while the fire was in progress. Another woman operating a tourist stop between Fayetteville and Charleston, about 50 miles west, said she saw the children the morning after the fire and she had even served them breakfast. Another woman at a Charleston hotel saw the children's photos in a newspaper and said that she had seen four of the five kids a week after the fire. In her statement, she wrote, The children were accompanied by two women and two men, all of Italian extraction. I do not remember the exact date. However, the entire party did register at the hotel and stayed in a large room with several beds. They registered about midnight. I tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the men appeared hostile and refused to allow me to talk to these children. One of the men looked at me in a hostile manner. He turned around and began talking rapidly in Italian. Immediately, the whole party stopped talking to me. I sensed that I was being frozen out, and so I said nothing more. They left early the next morning. Unfortunately, nothing would come of these stories, of these sightings. In 1949, the site of the house fire was excavated. Human vertebrae bones were found, but an expert said that they could only come from a human age 16 to 23, and they had never been exposed to fire. The oldest of the missing children was only 14 years old at the time of the fire. And the expert also noted that it was very strange that more bones weren't found, as they should not have burned up in that situation. Jenny and George Sauter spent the rest of their lives believing that their five children, presumed dead, were actually alive, and they did everything that they could to continue searching for them. George saw a newspaper photo of school children in New York City, and he was absolutely convinced that one of them was his daughter, Betty. He even drove to Manhattan in search of her, but her parents refused to speak to him. George and Jenny erected a billboard along Route 16 and passed out flyers offering a $5,000 reward for any information leading to the recovery of their children. They soon increased the amount to $10,000, and so many leads came in saying that the children were here or there, but unfortunately every time they sent an investigator or looked into it, it all came to a dead end. Then in 1967, Jenny Sauter received a photo in the mail of a man resembling one of her sons, Louis Sauter. The back of the photo read, Louis Sauter, I love brother Frankie, 
Lil Boys A90132 or 35. The envelope was addressed only to Jenny and was postmarked in Kentucky but had no return address. So the family went as far as to hire a private detective and sent him to Kentucky to look for the man in the photo. But this guy, this private detective, he just took their money and they never heard from him again. So sadly, it was another dead end. George Sauter would die in 1968, hoping that those five of his children were still alive, but feeling like he never really knew the truth. Jenny would die in 1989, wearing black as a sign that she was still in mourning every single day leading up to her death. She too would not have the answers that she'd so desperately wanted. The couple's remaining children and grandchildren would carry on a search for answers. The consensus among them was that the five children didn't really perish in the fire that night. Sylvia Sauter, the youngest of the 10 kids, is still alive today. She's now 77 years old. And remember, she was only two years old when this fire happened, so her memories are very limited. But she continues looking for her missing siblings by searching the web, working with detectives, and other internet sleuths like you and I. She believes that Maurice, Martha, Louis, Jenny, and Betty were kidnapped that night. Maybe it was a connection to the mafia. Maybe the kids stayed away this whole time in order to keep the rest of the Sauter family safe. Unfortunately, still to this day, we don't know. It's an absolute mystery what happened or if the kids lived on past the fire. Personally, I think that there's a very great possibility that the five children didn't die in the fire that night. I can't speculate a reason why they may have been taken, but to me, it isn't feasible that there wouldn't be a single trace of any of the five kids. And while they have likely all passed on by this time, it's also very likely that they may have went on to have their own children. And so this story may not be over just yet. The past never truly stays in the past, and eventually, all truths come to light. But I would love to hear what you think about this story. Do you think that the fire was deliberately set? And what do you think about the five solder children? Did they die in the fire? Or do you think it was all just this elaborate plan to abduct them? Let me know. I would like to once again thank tonight's sponsor of the show. Check out The Uninformed Banker on Spotify or at theuninformedbanker.com. They have seriously great content about all sorts of current events, a real breath of fresh air from all of this death and murder that I put you through. I have their links in my show notes, so make sure you go check them out. I promise you won't be disappointed. As for me, if you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper or I'm on YouTube, Nikki Young, Serial Napper, all one word. And if you're watching on YouTube, please give me a thumbs up, like, and subscribe. If you'd like to become a Patreon member and unlock some badass ad-free bonus episodes every month, visit patreon.com slash serial napper until next time sleep tight and don't look under the bed bye
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park 